We're in Matthew chapter 2 today, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. As we turn there, I was thinking this week about a video I saw of a friend of mine growing up. And she already has two children, and the Lord surprised her with the announcement of a third. Anybody ever been there? Not planning, but uh, later in life, the Lord gives you a surprise. And she, she put this video online of her telling her mom the news that they were expecting unexpectedly for the third time. And what was really funny is, as her children are telling her parents about this, her mom screams with excitement at the exact same moment my friend breaks down in tears. <laughs> now, now, I'm sure she's excited about the possibility of having a third child and sees it obviously as a gift from the Lord. It's just a testimony to the two realities of this birth. It's very different for a grandparent than a parent, right? There's a, a little more excitement for a grandparent, but the parent understands there's a lot of work that comes with being a parent. And she thought she was done with that, but the Lord had other plans. Isn't it funny how people can have such different reactions to the exact same news? It happens a lot, right? The exact same news, but your perspective brings about very different reactions. I think about college football last year. I, I get to live in the glory of LSU's historic year because college football, who knows if we're going to play it or not. And I was thinking about the bowl game that LSU had against Oklahoma and how LSU wiped the floor with them. It was such a, an overwhelming victory. And I remember celebrating that victory on the Monday following, and yet Pastor Blair as a University of Oklahoma fan, had a very different reaction to the exact same news. Although I can't imagine why, because he should be used to the fact that Oklahoma underwhelmed in a bowl game, yet again, same news, very different reactions. In today's passage, Matthew chapter 2, we see a number of different reactions to the exact same news. The greatest news ever given to mankind, from our perspective, that Jesus Christ has been born. That the promised King has come. The news that the people of God had been waiting for for hundreds of years to see fulfilled has been fulfilled. This should be great news. And yet, not everyone has that reaction. Not everyone reacts in a positive way to the news that Jesus Christ has been born because of what that birth means. When there's a new king in town and he's bringing about a new kingdom, that means the old kings and the old kingdoms, the old authorities, the old ways of thinking have to go with them. And if you have benefited from the brokenness of this world, and if you have benefited from the kingdoms of old, you may not think that a new king and a new kingdom is very good news. So I want us to consider this morning, as we read Matthew chapter 2, how we would have responded in first century Judea. I want us to think about how we are responding today to the idea that King Jesus has been born? Are we moved to worship 
because the King of kings and Lord of lords has come. Are we moved to rejoice because God has unveiled the reality of what he is doing in Christ and we cannot be the same? Or are we threatened? Are we grieving what we could lose and having to surrender our loyalty and life to this King Jesus? Are we concerned that we would have to give up too much in order to gain all that he offers? Is the birth of King Jesus good news for you? Let's look at our text this morning and consider the reactions that Matthew records and which one of those reactions would best describe our own to this news of the birth of Christ. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, is what the Word of God says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And when he's troubled, all Jerusalem is troubled with him, according to the text. And assembling all the chief priests... And the scribes of the people of Israel, he inquired of them where this Christ was to be born. They told him, and Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, this is Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Trying to get a timeline. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for this child. And and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. I'm not sure if you you can understand or get the sense from the text that he's lying through his teeth right here. That's exactly what he's doing. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. As they leave, Herod realizes these men are not returning, and so he takes matters into his own hands. He decides to remove the threat by killing any newborn male child in Bethlehem who fit within the timeline that he gathered from the wise men. But God protects Jesus against the threat of Herod. And he sends an angel to his father, Joseph, telling him to take his family and go to Egypt, thus setting the stage for another fulfillment of Scripture, as we see in verse 15, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. And so this story in Matthew chapter 2 ends not with the death of the infant Christ, but rather with the death of Herod. And the family of Jesus moving to Nazareth, 
to be sure that the threat against the life of Christ does not continue under the reign of Herod's son, Archelaus. Now, there's a lot going on in this story, clearly. And if you remember a couple of weeks back, so many of the things that we talked about that are present throughout the Gospel of Matthew are certainly here in Matthew chapter 2, as well as the redemptive actions of God that we saw last week. God is working in incredible ways to secure the salvation of his people. But what I want to focus on this morning is the way that God points our attention to the good news of Christ and then also the, the various responses to this news. God is working very diligently to make sure that we see the uniqueness of what he is doing in Christ, to, to make sure that our attention is drawn to him. This is not an ordinary birth. But then also, Matthew wants us to see that the various reactions to God's unveiling revelatory work about the birth of Christ. There's two major truths I want us to think about this morning in the text to understand what Matthew is trying to teach us about the good news of Christ. One, God is sovereignly directing our attention to Jesus. And two, humanity will be divided in their response to Jesus. Two major truths we see in this passage. One, God is sovereignly directing our attention to Jesus. But secondly, humanity will be divided in their response to Jesus. Let's deal with each of these truths independently for a moment. God's sovereign direction. He is sovereignly directing our attention to Christ. We see God sovereignly directing the attention of the wise men and our attention as we read this account through two specific ways. There are two activities that God is using, two instruments that God is using to drive the wise men to the place where they can find the promised child, Jesus. He's using a miraculous sign, and he's also using recorded scripture. A miraculous sign and also recorded scripture. It's pretty remarkable how these wise men came to worship the infant Christ. They are from the east. And they are following a star that was prophesied about in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, by the prophet Balaam. Yes, the donkey prophet Balaam, right? In all likelihood, these wise men heard about this prophecy from the time of the Jewish exile in Babylon. So isn't it incredible how even in the exile that we talked about at great length in Ezra and Nehemiah, God is sowing the seeds for the nations to be able to recognize that he is doing a unique work for the benefit of the whole world and the coming of this king, this promised Messiah whose name is Jesus. And so the Lord unveils this sign. And these wise men, we don't know how many despite what the carols may say, these wise men, astrologers, not kings, are looking at the stars, and they see this star, and something clicks in their mind. Oh, this may be the star that we read about or heard about from that book that these Jewish people brought to us, the book of Numbers. And they begin to follow it to see if the God of Israel has actually done what he promised he would do some hundreds of years earlier. 
They recognized that this star was no ordinary star, that it was breaking into the darkness of the world to signify something incredible. And so the the Lord uses this miraculous sign to show them and to show us the uniqueness of this child. They follow the star all the way to Herod, assuming that Herod, as the king of the Jews, and the Jewish people would see the same thing that they've seen, and they would be worshiping him already. Surely he would be in the palace. Surely he would be protected by the people. Surely they would already be pouring worship upon him, offering the best that they had. Of course he would be in the palace, but he's not. And so they say, do you know where this child is? If he's he's not here, do you know where he will be? And so the Lord has provided an answer in Scripture to inform the sign, to help the people who are looking at the sign understand what God is doing. And so Herod, even though he's doing it in a a not-nice way, instructs the, the scribes and the chief priests to discern from Scripture where the baby boy could be born. And they discover in the, the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, that he was to be born in Bethlehem. That's the second way that God is revealing his intention, sovereignly directing the wise men toward the place of Christ. Scripture gives clarity to the miraculous sign. So that we know exactly what God is doing and where the fulfillment of that sign is located. Through then, the miraculous sign of the star and the testimony of Scripture, the wise men are able to find this royal baby that they have been searching for. The sovereign direction that God gives us through this passage, but certainly these wise men, leads them to a place where they can find what they They know they should be looking for. And do you know that God works the same way today? God God will work throughout the scriptures, allowing Jesus to do miraculous things, incredible things that no other person can do. He uniquely is able to do these things. And as he does them, as the word of God, he explains the significance of them so that we know what he is trying to do and we can be marveled at what God is doing through him on our behalf. When we encounter the revelation of God's word in scripture, we get to see how God has been directing all of redemptive history to Jesus. It's incredible when you read the story of Scripture. Every major redemptive action that God does on behalf of Israel and then on behalf of the church, He explains for us, for our benefit, for their benefit, why He did what He did. He gives clarity to the miraculous work so that we won't miss what He is doing redemptively on our behalf in Jesus so many prophecies are fulfilled. So many, so many signs are given testifying to him. All leading us, should be leading us to the conclusion that Jesus is uniquely worthy of our worship. That he's not normal. As we talked about last week, he's not just a man. He is the God-man. The son of a living God. The true king of Israel who has come to save his people and rule over them in a new kingdom. I don't want us to miss the beauty of what God has done here. Friends, 
because of our sin, because of our ignorance, we would not know God. We could not know God. We would not know what God has done for us apart from the gracious action of God to reveal himself and reveal his intention. It is an act of grace from God that you even know him, that you know anything about him. You cannot reason your way to God. You cannot in your own ability find your way to God. No, God must and he has reveal himself to you. And he has revealed himself most explicitly through his son, the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, here's why. God has shown a light on Jesus to you. He has set a star over him. He has made it explicitly clear that Jesus is unique and he has informed you as to why he is unique through the written word of Scripture under the work of the Holy Spirit of God. He has allowed you to see the testimony of the Bible and through the work of the Spirit opened your eyes to the reality of Christ so that this news can be good news. That's the only way this becomes good news for you. It's if God enlightens you, illuminates your mind as to why it is good news. You could not understand it on your own. Salvation is a work of God through the work of revelation. Do you remember this moment in your life? Do you remember the gracious act of God through the Holy Spirit where Jesus the work of Jesus suddenly became real, where the light clicked on, where God sovereignly directed your gaze to look at Christ and all that he's accomplished for you. And it wasn't just some story you heard about growing up. It wasn't just the thing that the church down the street talked about, but suddenly it it meant something eternal to you, that your life would be different as a result of what you have seen that God has allowed you to see in Christ, oh, I hope that you have that moment. I hope that you remember that day when the longings of your heart were fully realized with the gracious revealing work of God on your behalf. What a glorious day that was. Something we should celebrate continually and glorify God for his grace. And I should also say this. If you don't have that day, if you've never come to that moment where you've you've seen what God has done for you in Christ, and it's transformed your life, oh, that today would be the day that God would shine a light on Jesus so bright that you cannot turn your face away. And as you hear the word of God taught and proclaimed, that you would realize what God has done for you in Christ and respond by repenting in belief. Repenting of your sin, believing in Christ as the only way to salvation. And this news can be good news, like it was for the wise men, like it is for so many of us in the room today that are followers of Christ. But we should also remember that not everyone reacts to Jesus in this way. It's interesting how the wise men from the east are the ones who actually get it. And not the king of the Jews and not the chief priest and the scribes. Who should be. 
the most excited parties in the room. This leads us to point number two, the reality of this divided reaction among humanity to the news of Jesus Christ. There are three main responses in the text to this news as God is unveiling his work in Christ. Three major reactions, again, to the exact same news, the exact same signs, the exact same scripture. The wise men worship, King Herod rages, and it seems like the chief priests and the scribes are indifferent. Three reactions, worship, rage, indifference. Let's begin with the right reaction to God's sovereign revelation, worship. Again, the unlikeliest of people coming to worship Jesus, pagan astrologers, Wise men from the east believe more in the prophecies of God than his own people. They take this divine sign and the record of God's saving activity seriously. And they see Jesus as the divine divine fulfillment of God's promise, even if they don't fully understand it. They know something is unique here. They know something special is here. And they worship God and Jesus because of it. And, and not just any worship. Look at verse 10. It's so incredible the way that Matthew describes that. When they saw the star coming to rest over the place of the baby, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There's a lot of joy in there, right? I mean, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So it's not just rejoiced. It's rejoiced exceedingly. And if that wasn't enough, Matthew wants you to know they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's, it's almost like words can't, Matthew can't find the words to do justice to the rejoicing that is happening in the hearts of the wise men. Oh, would that be descriptive of us, right? I mean, having recognized what God has done for us, having seen the plan of redemption unfolding through all the scripture, and to see the, the vast testimony of the reality that Christ is the fulfillment of all of God's promises and all these miraculous signs showing us that he has authority not just over earthly things but but spiritual things and that he has secured for us fellowship with God not just here but for all of eternity. Friends, that's what that light means. That's what the birth of Christ means. All of our hopes resting on the birth of this child and here he is. How could you not... Rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Is that true of our worship? I mean, so many of us gather in our our living rooms these days or in the, the worship center here, and we may rejoice a little bit. We also may be a little distracted by the coffee maker or our children. I'm rejoicing if Jude just sits down for a few minutes for me to actually engage, right? Uh, as many parents out there are. But listen. Every time we gather as a people and we're hearing the news of Jesus Christ and God is situating our attention on the work of Christ, our hearts should be overflowing with joy. We should be the most joyous people on the planet. Not because of lights, not because of 
some set designs, not because of emotionalism that gets you revved up and ready to go in your own strength, but because we have been overwhelmed by the news of what God has done for us in Christ. And we cannot help it. It is not something that is man-made. It is not something that can be man-generated. It's a stirring of our soul and our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God to the reality of Christ. And it should cause us to, to give every ounce of our being in pagan astrologers from the east. They bow down before this Jesus. They give him gifts. And they obey. When the angel of the Lord appears to them and says, hey, don't go back to Herod. He's not your friend. He's a threat to you and this king that you've just worshipped. What a great picture of worship we have here, friends. Adoration, sacrifice, obedience. If that doesn't characterize your worship, something's wrong. You're missing something about the reality of Christ. May we learn from the examples of the wise men from the East. That's what made them wise. They saw the wisdom of God in Jesus. And as a result of it, they adored him, they gave to him, and they obeyed him. Is there a greater picture of worship than that? That should be how we respond when God sovereignly directs our attention to the glory of Christ. But that's not the only response, unfortunately. Because after that response, we see some very different responses from people who honestly should know better. Maybe not Herod. We'll see if he's not even really a, a, a Jew. But the chief priests and the scribes, they should know better. So Herod... The current king of the Jews, when he hears this news, he feels threatened. Wait, there's another king of the Jews? Somebody else trying to, to claim my throne that Rome gave to me? He himself is not a Jew. He's of Edomian and Arabian descent. But he was placed in this position by the Roman Empire, and he's really liking it. And he will do anything to protect his authority. He was a tyrant, a really terrible king. He killed his own family members to secure his place on the throne. And one of the things of the commentators I was reading this week said about him was that he constantly feared threats from the east. Because as the Roman Empire goes, he's kind of on the eastern line. And he knows that Rome has put a lot in his hands and he doesn't want anything to jeopardize the trust that Rome has given him. So here come these wise men from the east talking about a new Jewish king. That doesn't really sit well with him. And so he panics. He's troubled. And all of Judea is troubled with him. That's a sign of a bad king, friends. When his trouble leads to everyone's trouble, sign of a bad king, not King Jesus, King Herod, right? Troubling news. He does not rejoice. He is not comforted. He focuses on all that he could lose rather than all he could gain. And as a result, he lies, he conspires, and he murders. If you want to know how terrible and evil a king Herod was, just look at the way he murders these babies without a moment's thought. If they're a threat to him, easily removed. This time, probably around a 1,000 people in the city of Bethlehem, 
So likely somewhere between 10 and 20 families lost babies that day. What's interesting is the news of Christ's birth doesn't remove Herod's sinful ways. It doesn't lead him to want to be better. In fact, it actually heightens his sinfulness because of the threat it poses to the earthly kingdom he so badly wants to hold to. When you love this world and the kingdoms of this world, it's hard to get excited about them being removed for something better. When you've benefited from the broken system of this world at the expense of other people, when Jesus comes in and says, hey, I'm going to change up everything and the last are going to be first, well, the people who are first have a very hard time getting behind that. And they want to hold to that power and they will do whatever it takes to stop it. And remember, this is not just an earthly battle, a spiritual one as well. The physical realities that Herod is expressing here are really symptomatic of a larger battle going on as the kingdom of this world is being replaced by the kingdom of heaven that God sent Christ to establish. Herod's just a manifestation of a spiritual reality that's going on and playing out in the background. So he rages, and people suffer as a result of it. But then there's the chief priests and the scribes. You know, I've not really thought about their reaction much over the years as I've taught this passage many times, especially at Christmas time. But I was really struck by their reaction or their lack of reaction when they turn to Micah and see the potential of the fulfillment of prophecy being unfolded on the page before them. They looked in the scripture to find, Herod's, to find the answer to Herod's question, as they were supposed to do. You see that in verse 4. And they tell him the answer to the question from Scripture. They told him, verse 5, In Bethlehem of Judea, as the prophet says, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers, for from you shall come a ruler. So they have the wisdom to turn to the Scripture, And they see the potential answer to all of God's prophecies being unfolded before them. And what do they do? Nothing. Who are the ones who run to Bethlehem to see whether or not the king has been born? The wise men from the east. Who do nothing in the hope of preserving the status quo and the favor they have before this evil king Herod, the scribes and the chief priests? The people who should know better. Of all people, these people, experts in the law, experts in the Scripture, should be running to see if God's promises are being fulfilled before them. But their knowledge of Scripture had not led them to a place of anticipation of its fulfillment. And so it was not good news for them. They are indifferent And their indifference reveals something about them. And an idolatry that's in their heart that will later lead them to act in very different ways, more like Herod than the wise men. You see, indifference will only be indifference for a short amount of time 
when someone like Jesus comes in and upsets everything about your life. And if it doesn't lead you to worship because of what you see is the glorious benefit of what Christ brings, it will lead you to rage as well. Because as we will turn through the story of the Gospel of Matthew, we'll see that these indifferent chief priests and scribes don't stay indifferent for long. In fact, they are the very ones who devise and conspire against the grown-up Christ and have him sentenced to death on a cross. Matthew 21, verses 14 to 15. Matthew 26, verse 3. Go see how those chief priests and scribes no longer are indifferent, but are actively opposed to Christ, seeking to have him murdered. So here's the question for us today. Is the coming of King Jesus good news for you? And I think there's probably two groups of people we're asking that question to. Those of you who are not in Christ. The coming of King Jesus at this moment is not good news to you, but it can be. It can be. The fact that there is a king who has come, who is establishing a new kingdom, and he's invited you into it so that you can experience the blessing and the fellowship of being in the presence of God. It's available to you today if you will take advantage of the sacrifice of Christ. If the Spirit's opening your eyes to the glory of Christ and leading you to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ was Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then what was not good news to you, whether you were actively raging against it or indifferent to it, can suddenly be the thing that drives you to your knees in worship. And certainly it's our prayer that would happen to you today. I'm praying that believers here and even now pray that the Holy Spirit would would shine a light on Jesus and move people to respond in faith. But what about those of us who are in Christ? Is the whole testimony of what Jesus has done good news to us? Is the birth of King Jesus good news for you? This week when we were preparing for the sermon, we have a preaching team meeting every week. Pastor Kurt made a really interesting observation. He goes, you know, Jared, I think there's a significance here in the fact that Matthew's focusing on the kingliness of Jesus' birth and the authority that comes with that. I think so many times Christians like the idea of Jesus being a savior, but they always don't get excited about him being a king. I want you to think about that for a moment. Is, is the reality of Christ being your king an exciting thing for you? Not just a savior, but a king. The savior thing is great, right? He did come to save us from our sins. And when you realize all that he's saving us from, that's a really exciting thing, right? Because we were separated from God because of our sinfulness. We could not have fellowship with him so that the deepest longings of our heart were never going to be fulfilled. And that separation would not just take place here upon this earth, but for all eternity in hell. And so we're being saved from the judgment and wrath of God and permanent separation from God for all of eternity. That's a very exciting thing. And we see the immediate benefit of that, spiritually speaking, for us. But what about the kingly peace? That Jesus saves us and calls us to himself. 
and has expectations about how we treat the name that's now been attached to us, that, that we're now citizens of a kingdom and there's a, an ethic, a way of behaving, a way of living that's expected of us to live rightly under the authority of King Jesus in accordance with the way that he has designed us to live. That's a little bit more troubling, isn't it? Here, there are things I have to give up. There are things I have to change in order to please Jesus. Yes. But for those of us who have truly seen Christ for all that he is, that shouldn't be a big deal. Because we recognize that the more that we live in accordance with what he has set forth, the more that we live in a Christ-like way, the more access to God we get the greater intimacy and fellowship that we can have with him and the deepest longings of our heart are actually satisfied so that we can, we can rejoice exceedingly with great joy over and over again, more and more, because of how much fulfillment we have, we have found in Christ, how much satisfaction we have found in the presence of God. But there are some, even those who would say they are followers of Christ, who I think still love this world a little too much. And while they may not rage against Jesus today, there's going to come a time where the idols in our hearts, the things that we think we love more than Jesus, will be challenged. And in that moment, the nature of your salvation will actually be revealed. Is this just something that you do? a cultural thing, lip service that makes you feel better about yourself? Well, if, if so, when that thing you love is challenged, you may see some rage start propping up in your life. Well, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't expect me to give that up. Jesus wouldn't expect me to change in that way. Or if you're in Christ... That conviction of the Holy Spirit will lead you to a place where you'll sacrifice it and give it to him, trusting that he will bring something better in return. You know, it's my, it's my fear, friends, that so many of us know the scriptures really well. And if someone comes and asks us a question about, hey, what does the Bible say such and such? We could turn there immediately and find it. And yet, even as we read it, the words on the page are not surprising to us, are not amazing to us, are not overwhelming to us. They're just stories we grew up with. They're just interesting copy on a page. We don't see them as divinely given truths. Unfolding the redemptive plan of God meant to point us to the glory of Christ. And if we're not careful, we can have a lot of religious people in a church who are married to tradition and who know nothing of the saving work of God in Christ. I'm praying for me. You know, I, I, have, a, I have a joyous responsibility and the privilege to get to study the word of God for a living and then preach it. And there are weeks where I'm sitting here and I don't see this as a living word of God and a place to commune with God himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
where my faith can be reshaped and reformatted to make me want to worship God even more. I take it for granted. How many of us, how many of us take this for granted? And I pray that we won't come to a place where we're as hard-hearted to the work of God as these scribes and chief priests were. And if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit would awaken us once again, would stir our hearts once again to see what he has done for us and the fulfillment of all of his promises in Jesus. And if not, that our indifference to this would be a wake-up call that maybe we're not where we think we were. And this could be the day of your salvation as the Holy Spirit awakens you in a new way. Is the news, the birth of King Jesus, good news for you? It's my prayer that you're a member of this church that it is. And it will never stop being good news. That every week when we gather, every time we do small groups throughout the week, every every expression of the ministry of this church would be an opportunity for us to reconsider the good news that King Jesus has come and that we as a people would respond with exceeding rejoicing, with great joy over and over again. And we'll be prepared that not everybody's going to have that reaction. There's going to be some outside of the church that will be enraged that we would suggest they have to give their loyalty to King Jesus and not some other king. There will be people around us that are indifferent. And when we encounter those people, may it bring us to a place of prayer that the Holy Spirit would shine a light on Jesus for them and make it be changed forever. And when we encounter those people in our church, may we pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal whatever it is that they're not willing to submit to Jesus. And they would be broken to the place where they would remove it for the better that he offers. So that the good news of Jesus can be even better news. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time before the Lord. Asking him to help you know how to respond today. Has God sovereignly directed your attention to Christ in a way that has led you to salvation and worship? Would you just rejoice today that what you could not find on your own, God has graciously revealed? And I wonder this, would you pray that he would use you to shine a light on Jesus for others? You know, there are people in Irving, there are people around the world who don't know Christ. And it may be that that God will use you to shine a light on Jesus. Now, they may at first be indifferent, they may at first be raging. But you remember why. You know what really is at play here. What about your own heart? When you think about King Jesus, does that lead you to a place of worship 
adoration, sacrifice, obedience? Or are you kind of indifferent to it? You've got a lot of knowledge, but it's not led you to worship. What a dangerous place to be. Would you ask the Holy Spirit, if you know that you're in Christ, to break your heart? To make you sensitive to the goodness and greatness of God once again? Are there places that you won't allow the authority of Christ to reach in your life? And in fact, when someone speaks a kind, loving word into those places, you rage? Maybe there's an idol there that you need to sacrifice before the Lord. And if you're unwilling to do that, what does that say about your posture before the king of the universe? Father, would you help us know how to respond to your preached word? Father, thank you for the gift of revelation. Thank you for how you've shown us the glory of Christ. And it is my prayer that we would worship you. We would rejoice exceedingly with great joy because of what we know that you have allowed us to know of your work for us in Jesus. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, or anyone here who is resisting the reach of the authority of King Jesus, that you would bring us to a place of repentance today so that we can know the joy that the rest of us are expressing. Father, would you do this work that only you can do, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and respond in song, church family.